unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And you threw me a kind of a curveball for this episode. Yeah, um, it it sort of surprised me when I ran across uh, some of the stuff that led to it. And why did it throw you a curveball? Well, I was looking at the show notes and it's it's a unique take on copywriting. I'll say that. Well, yeah. And if, if it wasn't proven, I probably would have skipped it, but it works. It definitely works. So, so yeah, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, let me just jump in and, and uh, I'll uh, leave you in suspense. <laughs> Let's start by, if you would listen to this letter, listen to the opening of this letter. It's a blockbuster sales letter by the great Bill Bonner, who was one of the founders of Agora whole Agora, not just Agora Financial, but all the Agora companies. Here it goes. It's 5.37 p.m. There's a cold sweat on the back of your neck. You're standing at an ATM in a crowded grocery store. A few yards away, the cashier is drumming her long red nails on the counter next to your groceries. There's a long line of people waiting to pay. You turn back to the ATM and swipe your card for the third time. Nothing happens. Behind you, someone in the line lets out an exasperated sigh. You apologize to the cashier. Annoyed, you head back to your car where you fish out your cell phone and give the bank a call. It takes three times until a woman's voice finally answers, but it's just a pre-recorded message. So garbled, you can't make out a word. You hang up and start your engine. On the way home, you stop off at a gas station. The attendant comes out as usual, but before you can speak, he asks a strange question. You buying or selling? Confused, you tell him that you just want to fill her up. But when you try and give him your credit card, he suddenly backs away. Sorry, man, we're closed. You sit there for a moment, wondering whether you should argue with the guy. Finally, you just head home. You tell your wife what happened. Definitely strange, but she figures it's probably just a computer problem at the bank. They'll have it sorted out by the morning. You agree, but as you fall asleep later that night, you're not so sure. That's from a letter called ATM Collapse by Bill Bonner, and it sold tons and tons and tons of newsletters. And there's something really compelling about that copy. What's compelling is what I just read to you is it's written in a couple of scenes right from the beginning. Now, if this seems real to you, and it did to thousands of people who read it, it's because the copy pulls you into a dark and scary world where something has gone very, very wrong. And it sets you up for what's next in the sales letter. Now, I bet you have no idea of what comes next in this podcast because copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims 
and if you're writing copy in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Nathan, does that clear things up a little bit about what writing and scenes is? Yeah, and what's what I really liked about that intro and, and that the the letter that you started reading from is it's almost it's written like one of those post-apocalyptic like the beginning of a post-apocalyptic movie where as horrible as the train wreck is you can't look away you have to see what's coming next like if I started reading a letter like that I wouldn't assume that it was a sales letter I would assume that I was about to read a, a story about the next Terminator movie and I wouldn't be able to put it down so it's it's a very strange type of hook, but man, it's so compelling. Yes, it, it, it is. And what he did, he wrote in scenes. And let's talk about what that means. You know, as I was preparing this, I remember my parents, who were exactly the opposite of me, would say things like, don't make a scene, you know, um, which, which meant don't make a big deal about something. But here I'm telling people, do make a scene. So take that, mom and dad. Okay. Um, all right. So what we're going to talk about is writing in scenes. And it is different, as you pointed out yourself, Nathan, than the way most people write copy and content. But it's not totally unusual. So I want to show you this book. This is where I got this from. It's called Writing Tools. It's by Roy Peter Clark. He's not a copywriter, but he is a renowned writing teacher. Um, He's a journalist and a teacher of journalism, and he's written a lot of books about writing. And so that's where I got the seed of this idea. And And listen to this one, really, one paragraph from his book. It's chapter 35. Tom Wolfe argues that realism in fiction and nonfiction is built on a scene-by-scene scene contraction telling the story by moving from scene to scene and resorting as little as possible to sheer historical narrative. Don't worry, I'll translate that into English. And doing this thing, this scene-by-scene -scene stuff, realism, requires, according to Wolf's manifesto in the new journalism, extraordinary feats of reporting so that writers actually witness the scenes in other people's lives. And the book he's referring to is The New Journalism, edited by Tom Wolfe. You can find both of these books, Writing Tools and The New Journalism on Amazon. So Tom Wolfe says he compares sheer historical narrative, narrative to scene-by-scene -scene contraction. And the difference between writing in narrative style and writing in scenes, and most of us write in narrative style most of the time, okay? Because that's how we talk. Um, what happened? Well, I went to the store, and they were out of gluten-free bread, so I had to get gluten-free spaghetti, and, you know, and they, and they just sort of list things, you know, like a sequence of events. Um, a factual narrative is what happened. It's a series of events, usually in chronological order, almost like a time log. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. A scene is 
a recreation of one event, just like we heard, or maybe two events, one, the grocery store, two, the gas station, or a closely related series of events in a relatively short period of time and space, okay? So that's different. A narrative, you could, you know, we took a world tour. We started in New York, then we went to Iceland, then Paris, then Greece, then Afghanistan. Why did you go to Afghanistan? Well, that's where the big payoff was. Then Shanghai, then, right? So it could take a long time, uh, a narrative. And, you know, a scene doesn't usually happen that way. That's not a scene. Uh, One of the things about a scene with events in a scene is you can usually see them. That's why it's called a scene. No, that's not why it's called a scene but it's an easy way to remember it. The word scene actually comes from the Greek word, an ancient Greek word for stage. And that's another good way to think about it, stage. It's something you could see on a stage. It happens in a relatively short period of time in a relatively same place. So when you read writing written in scenes, you can experience them. See, we talk in narrative, but we experience life in scene because it's what we see and hear that's how we experience it. And when you read something written as a scene, it takes you there the same way the opening page from Bill Bonner's sales letter did at the beginning of this podcast. Okay. Can I ask yeah. you two questions on clarification? Yeah. So in narrative, especially when people are talking, a lot of times they include a bunch of stuff that isn't pertinent to the scene. When people are writing for scenes, it's usually only the stuff that absolutely needs to be there is included. And when people are talking in narrative, it seems like they include a lot of fluff. Um, Am I onto something there or am I totally off base? Yeah, you are because ultimately a scene has to be broken down to a square in a comic book or Uh, a series of footage on film or, you know, some stage directions and dialogue for a play. So yes, in narrative, you can just go on and on and on. Scenes have to be tightly edited. Okay. So let me, that, that leads in really well to a couple of examples. I'm going to give you the example, one from a song and one from a TV show that was done as well as a major studio movie, so you can see the difference. Okay, here's the song. It's from a song written in 1968 by uh, Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel, and the song is The Boxer, and I'm just going to, I'll sing you two lines. I'm laying out my winter clothes and wishing I was warm going home. Okay, in 13 words, to me, and maybe it helps if you know the song, he's described a pretty memorable scene because there's only one place you lay out your clothes, and that's on the bed when you're getting ready to get dressed, in my mind. And wishing I was warm, winter clothes, right? That's pretty memorable. 13 words. Now, imagine if he was not a talented writer uh, and he was sort of a, a hack narrative writer and he had written it was 1968 and cold as hell i had just moved to new york city previously i had lived in a warmer place 
I missed that place, but I had to get dressed. So I laid my clothes out on the bed and I thought about the city I had moved from where it was warmer. (laughs) Besides the clumsy narrative being boring as hell, it also doesn't bring you right into the room where he's dreading going out into that freezing New York City day. But the 13 words do that. Okay, so here's another example. So one of my favorite shows, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Nathan, it's called Ray Donovan. You ever mm-hmm. see it? Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's on TV, but it's as good as a movie. This is the first scene from the first show, and I'll read you from the screenplay, so uh, hopefully you can visualize it. Interior, Walpole Prison, Walpole, Massachusetts, day. A man, Mickey Donovan, hard, mid-70s, is being released as he's being processed out by a warden and a social worker. Warden, different world out there, Mickey. Stay out of trouble. Mickey signs the final paperwork and is presented with some clothes from the 1980s. Warren, continued, what the F is that? A leisure suit? They all get a laugh out of them. Mickey pushes them back. You keep them. An emotional moment. None of them knows what to do or say. Mickey swallows hard and exits. Okay? It's 90 words. Now, imagine if instead you saw this as a timeline, as a narrative sequence. 1988, Mickey Donovan, age 51, is sentenced to 23 years at Walpole Street Prison in Walpole, Massachusetts. Over the course of the next two decades, he served his term. In 2011, he was released from prison. When he gathered up his belongings, the warden noticed that his clothes were 20 years out of style. He wished Mickey the best and urged him to stay out of trouble. So in my mind, the difference between the two was the first one was like painting a picture. When you read this, you're like, okay, this is how it's going to play out on film. This is how I'm going to visualize this. The second one seemed more of like a collection of data points that might make up a news article or something. Right. So the data points go right here and the visual goes right here, right into the heart. Yeah. For the listeners, the first right here was your head. The second right here was your heart. Right. And, you know, for the listeners who think that I have a dirty mind, I did not point at my crotch. I did not do that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So let's talk about how writing in scenes works and why it works. Writing in scenes is effective because it recreates what real life is like, life the way we experience it. We experience life right here, right now. Um, We notice what we see, and we hear what people are saying. And most writing isn't like that. But writing like that is far more effective. Now, most people don't realize they live their lives in one scene from another. They're too busy actually doing it. Um, they don't stop and pay attention. It's kind of hard to um, perceptionally step out of your body and look at you and these other people in a scene or you and the trees in the forest or you and the bathtub or whatever. Most people don't do that. It's not something we do naturally or we're trained to do. But that's what a writer needs to do because writing is so much more authentic and compelling when you know how to do that, when you know how to do that, and then you actually do it, okay? So, um, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm not sure 
I don't know if we've ever established that you actually write comic books, but you read them. And to conceptualize a comic book, you have to be able to think in scenes. Every panel is a whole scene, mm-hmm. right? I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. Okay, so here's a simple way to get started writing your copy and scenes. And by the way, I'm not saying that your copy needs to be like a screenplay. You know, the Bill Bonner letter, it wasn't all scenes all the way. There are certain places to use them. We'll talk about where they are. You don't necessarily need or want to uh, have the whole thing, but it's a very valuable skill to use at certain points in your copy. So when you're writing copy as a scene, think of what a movie camera or a video camera could record, both the visual and the sound, or what you could see on a stage with people saying words. You could do this for an opening in your letter. And it's also very effective when you describe the benefits of your product in the future for your prospect this way. I'll get to that a little more later, but first I want to give you some additional tips from Mr. Clark, the author of this book. Here are four exercises if you'd really like to get good at this. And I think it's a high value, high payoff skill to be able to do this. Um, And this is, again, it's from chapter 35 of his book, Writing Tools. One, when you're out in the world, especially doing research for your copy, I've changed a few words to make this for copywriters, but this is paraphrasing what he says. Pay attention to what the scenes are. Record them in enough detail so you can later recreate them for your reader. Two, for scenes you're going to later invent for your writing, keep your ears perked for dramatic dialogue that will help readers have a more meaningful and believable experience. That means paying attention when you're talking, when other people are talking, and when you're watching TV or movies. Number three, Clark recommends this exercise from Tom French, a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. This is a strange exercise. I guess you do it in a museum or, um, I don't know, maybe you open an, an art book. You view an interesting photograph or, or portrait and then use your imagination to fill in the details and tell a story in a scene about what you see in the picture with a you know beginning and end very close to um, the same point in time and, and you know just what's in the picture and do it in the form of a scene, write it up, and then compare it to other people and what they wrote. Okay, I don't know if I like that, but um, you might. Number four, 
watch movies and notice how the scenes are constructed and how the director sequences them, what order he puts them into and why. Um, so those are some exercises you can use. And now let's talk, let's really drill down and focus in on where would you use scenes in your copy? Okay. Um, I think there's four parts of your copy where writing in scenes will make a big difference in influence and in conversion. First of all, scenes work great in the opening, just the way we saw in Bill Bonner's letter. Second, you can write a scene or you can write things in a scene manner when you describe your prospect using the product. So you can take them right into that moment. Um, imagine holding the slick, thick, reliable papermate pen in your hand, knowing that just in a few minutes, you will be writing the words that will set you free financially enough money to feed a small developing country. Okay. Boy, that's quite a scene. Actually, that was an ad for copywriting, not for the pen. Okay. Third, you can write a scene of the prospects enjoying the benefits of the product. Um, now that you have $13 billion in the bank, just from that one sales letter, think of what it's like every day to get up knowing that you're not sure whether you're going to the beach, you're going skiing, or you're going to take over another small developing country yourself. Okay. Um, so that's like, you know, imagining a, a scene once you've achieved great wealth from this and and then fourth um okay this gets a little technically legally and ethically fine line but you have a testimonial and you see a good opportunity to modify it rewrite it as a scene without changing the material facts or the intention of the testimonial and you can get the person's permission to do it That'd be a great place to use a scene. Every time I pick up this pen, I thank my own personal God, as well as Nathan and David for the copywriters podcast. Okay. That, that could, I don't know. If, now, honestly, I don't know if that's a testimonial for the pen or the podcast, but um, in any case, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's an example of that. Okay. So tell me your thoughts. Cause I, I know you're a very visual thinker and, you read a lot of books, you watch a lot of movies. So talk to me. I, I think one thing to keep in mind is you can overdo this. Uh, the, the example from the beginning, the letter that you read from the beginning, it was very succinct and to the point. He didn't go on about the, the rust on the nozzle of the gas station. He didn't go on about the overalls that the gas station attendant was wearing. He didn't go on about the cool breeze that, that wisped on his neck as he was getting out. And sometimes people go on too much about those things. Uh, so it's, it's a fine line. You got to be careful about what to include and what not to include. And I just want to make a recommendation, totally not copywriting related, but a book series that you turned me on to, the Orphan X series by oh, Greg yeah. Hurwitz. Oh, Man, yeah. That guy is brilliant at laying out scenes. And, uh, a lot of business owners, we don't spend enough time reading fiction, but if you're a copywriter and you want to know how to lay out scenes, the Orphan X series does a great job of explaining what needs to be there and what doesn't need to be there in a scene. 
Yes, Orphanx by Greg Hurwitz. I don't know if you know this, but in addition to being a best-selling author, and Bradley Cooper is um, optioned or, or acquired the rights to, and is going to make the first Orphanx movie. In addition to that, Greg Hurwitz is also Jordan Peterson's writing coach. Oh no, I did not know that. That's that makes and, sense. And Jordan's very open about it. And they had a, there's if you can fish it up on YouTube. There's an incredible. Uh, uh, interview uh, between well, between the two of them. You know yeah. what's funny about that too is in the book series, in totally tangent tangential uh, side note, um, in the book series, he's always making references to Jordan Peterson's work. I, I know he, he has this this single mom DA who has uh, Jordan Peterson quotes up on her refrigerator and stuff. Yeah, very funny. All right, I apologize for diverting, but um, no, no, it's good, and I'm glad you did because. I was actually thinking of going to one of my orphan X books and and pulling out, you know, a, a paragraph there as as an example, but never never got to that. We we had so many other good examples. So, and I'm glad you brought that up. So, uh, what are some other things to keep in mind that you think are important for copywriters when it comes to using scenes? Well, yeah. I, I first let me build on what you said. A lot of people become copywriters sort of as a, a second choice. Like, I really wanted to be a novelist. I really wanted to be a screenwriter. That's okay. But don't confuse the two things, you know? And we, we've, we've gotten to this in so many other episodes. And so don't say, oh, here's my opportunity to, to write my entire sales letter like a novel or like a, a series of visual haiku or what. No, don't do that. You know? Use this as as a as a tool, not as a you know, not like the Dutch boy who covers the world with his paint. You know, um, just use it not only in moderation but strategically. And yeah, you're, you're not doing this to create an artistic statement about the rust on the end of the um, nozzle from the gas pump which might indicate how fossil fuels are really a backwards looking. No, no, stop it. No, don't do that. You, you know, uh, it, if you want to write poetry about fossil fuels, go ahead, but not in your sales letters. Um, so th- there's, there's that. The, the other thing I want to say is just because the result looks simple doesn't mean it's easy to do this. It takes a lot of work. And there are some things that take a lot of work that I don't think are worth learning how to do. This is one thing I think is worth learning how to do. Um, you, you know, I, I now for the quantitatively oriented people, I can't say what percentage difference it's going to make. I just know at an experience level, this kind of writing reaches people in a more universal and deeply emotional way than you know narrative does it it's the same idea as features versus benefits you know features reach a small amount of people benefits reach a larger amount of people i think writing in scenes takes it to the next level after benefits and when you own your when you open your copy with a scene 
it draws the prospect right in and it makes them imagine that they're right there. It also makes your copy more memorable and compelling. And the, I think the, the key thing, not about how to do it, but about why it works is that it imitates real life. It approximates real life more than any other kind of writing I can think of. So on that note, because it is important that your copy is believable and it's important that a lot of times, I mean, we include testimonials, we include personal transformation stories, mm -hmm. we include uh, white papers and, and case studies and stuff like that. The example that we started the show off with was very obviously a work of fiction. It wasn't, let me tell you about my client who the other day was at the grocery store and had this issue and then went to the gas pump and had a similar issue. And that led to this. It was very much a, this is a fictional character in a world just like this world, except for one thing is off. Um, what are your thoughts on that, on the uh, using a, a blatantly fictional scene versus a trying to take something that is real life scene? Because um, it's, it's a fine line to walk, in my opinion. I, I agree. So I'd like to challenge your premise. I think for a lot of the readers of that letter, a lot of the people in that list, it's not a fictional scene. It is a possibility that they're worried about every waking hour of their lives. They really believe that someone's going to come in and pull the plug. You, you know, um, there's a great film composer, Hans Zimmer, and he says, and he's written scores for 150 movies, and he says, nobody knows where music comes from, and I don't know when they're going to turn off the tap. And I think he means it. And I think there are, there are people who are waiting for the shoe to drop. And so... This is like taking people's worst fears and making them real in a couple of everyday situations. Now, to me, I don't believe the ATMs are going to go out. I could be proven wrong, but I just don't. There, I, I have friends who are paranoid in other ways than I am, and they believe that kind of stuff's going to happen. And so I think Bill Bonner knew his market and knew exactly what to say to them. So, yeah, it's fiction, but he's basically saying, this is what could happen, you know? And and I think when you, again, it depends on your market. Um, but, you, you know, it's like, okay, I'll give you an example for me. My mother died six years ago this month from declining dementia. and. So if someone presents a fictional scenario where I can't remember, you know, how to get to the grocery store, I can't, I keep repeating myself um, even more than I already do. Um, uh, I've, I've seen that. Uh, now, I've seen that in real life with my mother. I'm likely to get scared by that. Um, these people have probably seen those kind of nightmare scenarios in their imaginations enough so that they think it's real. So does that answer the question? And I know it's a long way around to yes, no, do this, don't do this. But um, 
does it? Yeah, and I think that the main the main takeaway of that is even though it was clearly fictional, it was very believable, especially to the main audience. I think that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. David, this has been a fantastic episode. Uh, like I said, when I first saw the show notes, I was like, wow, this is a, an approach that I haven't seen talked about. And I think you did an excellent job of just executing this conversation. So thank you so much, man. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the props. Awesome. All right. So a uh, fun episode. Fantastic. A lot to chew on. And uh, until next week, if you want to get more of your copywriting fix, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. All right, man. I will catch you later. Okay. See you later. Bye. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. Brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.